in last week's offering, you can still write checks to Tulsa Christian Fellowship and uh, designate Afghan relief, and uh, we'll still get it there. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll still be processing any offerings that come in late. Uh, you can drop it in the offering, uh, or you can uh, drop it in the lockbox back here. You can mail it, okay? So... I want you to think about this. So much of living our lives is about priorities. We have to think about what are the most important things in our lives and how does that particular measure of importance influence the things that we think and say and do. For example, here's a good illustration of priorities. Save your child from being eaten by a camel, but first take a picture. Now, sometimes priorities are kind of hard to keep in order, especially when they get in the way of our comfort or our pleasure, or when they make things harder, like here's the boss telling Dilbert, our highest priority is satisfying our customers, except when it's hard or unprofitable or we're busy. Now, this kind of begins to get at the challenge that we face in our spiritual lives, and the only command that Jesus gave us that added this qualifier, seek first. We'll come back to how difficult this can be in a minute, but of course we're talking about Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, very familiar passage of Scripture. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It would be important for us to obey this command regardless of whether or not Jesus gave that qualifier, seek first. But with the qualifier, setting our priority this becomes an even more important commandment for us, even one that we can put on our list of life verses. How many of you have a life verse or some life verses? So a lot of us do, you know, we can think that way sometimes. Uh, I don't really tend to think that way because I tend to think that God's Word is incredibly important to grasp and that means all of it, to meditate on it, to apply it to our lives in obedience. However, I do admit that there are a few verses of Scripture that seem to come back to me again and again throughout the course of my Christian life. And this is one of those passages that the Lord impresses on me in different ways over the course of my Christian life. In fact, I look back in my notes and in the past 25 years, I've preached on this theme at least twice. And certainly I know I have mentioned this particular verse as part of other messages even more times. I also found in my files one of the times that I previously preached on this theme. It was back in 2009. And apparently just the week before I preached about this, uh, Jim Garrett had preached. And he criticized my use of PowerPoint presentations with my sermons. <laughs> he added that he didn't need such crutches because his anointing was so powerful. <laughs> so in an apparent moment of deep conviction and Holy Spirit information, I wrote this prayer of supplication and repentance. I'm sure since it was just back in 2009, all of you must remember this one, right? Lord, anoint my PowerPoint. Let it speak for you. May I be more like Jim with Jesus shining through. Lord, anoint my PowerPoint and with each sermon preached, break through my weak anointing and use me, Lord, to teach. Lord, anoint my PowerPoint and borrow Jim's anointing because he's older and full of it. So he can spare some, can't he? <laughs> enough of that enough of that foolishness <laughs> I want to point out that this passage in Matthew is too deep and too important 
to apply it simply to a list of priorities. It is about priorities. After all, Jesus did say, seek first. And that gives us an order of application. So in other words, do this first. Make this the priority. Seek His kingdom. Seek His righteousness. But seek first His kingdom is about so much more than just simply priorities. It's meant to shape our lives. Just one of the ways it shapes our Christian lives is by putting this first. But again, seeking first the kingdom is not just about priorities. The kingdom of God is not another thing and just a long list of priorities that we might come up with in the Christian life. Okay, then seek first His kingdom and then seek to know the Word and then seek to pray, then seek to love one another, then seek to share the good news. No. God's kingdom is the framework that prioritizes the priorities in our lives. It's the foundation on which we build the important things we live for and the important things we do in service of His kingdom. It should and does, if we are seeking first, shape our attitudes and it shapes our actions. As we begin to understand God and His kingdom, His rule and His reign, and we do that primarily by knowing Him better through His Word, And if we're willing to embrace this as our top priority, we are seeking God Himself because you cannot separate the kingdom of God from the King. When we do this, it has the power to help us arrange everything in our lives with meaning and purpose. This is why Jesus tells us to seek this first. He told His disciples, if they would seek the kingdom of God before anything else in life, all these things will be added to you as well, as it says in Matthew 6.33. In other words, prioritizing the kingdom does not minimize the other aspects of our lives. It puts them in perspective. The kingdom of God doesn't have to compete with our work, our school, our hobbies, our relationships, and the other important aspects of life. In fact, when properly understood, the kingdom will enhance every aspect of our lives. It will help give fresh meaning and fresh significance. C.S. Lewis said, when first things are put first, second things are not suppressed, but increased. When I seek God's kingdom first, for example, I can love my wife better. When I seek God's kingdom first, I can love my brothers and sisters in Christ better. I can teach better. I can preach better. I can love my family better. I can serve better. I can be a better coach, Bill. I can even enjoy life better. So we're not only talking about priorities, but in a related way, we're talking about perspective. Perspective is the lens through which we look at our lives. You've heard the phrase, looking at the world through rose-colored glasses. That's kind of having a rosy, optimistic view of life. Well, in setting His kingdom and His righteousness as our top priority, when Jesus said, seek first, Jesus is helping us learn to see the world through God-colored glasses. Seeing the world, what's important and what's not, what's good and what's evil, what's righteousness and what's sinful, from God's perspective, guided by the Holy Spirit and seeing through His Word. Now, these things are all inherent in Jesus' very clear admonition here to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Now, it's also important to note the context of the all these things that Jesus 
refers to here. The immediate context, when he says all these things will be added unto you, the immediate context is provision. It's what we'll eat. It's what we'll drink. It's what we'll wear. This is in the middle, this uh, passage, Matthew 6.33, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus was teaching what are perhaps the most significant applications of his kingdom truth in any one setting during the course of his ministry. Just a little before this, he teaches what we call the Lord's Prayer. He also, before this, talks about giving. He talks about fasting. And he tells them that what they treasure on earth reveals their hearts. Just 12 verses before this verse that we read, he tells them where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So just prior to verse 33, we see a lengthy discourse on anxiety. It's being anxious about what we have and what we don't have and what we need and what we think we need. And Jesus leads up to this seek first statement by telling the people listening to this sermon not to be anxious. Why? Because God always provides. God is faithful. He loves us. He always provides what we need in any context. And I don't believe we're stretching a point at all to say that this includes certainly the material provision that is the immediate context of this passage, food and clothing, but even those more intangible things that God is faithful to give us. How about grace? How about strength? In other words, not just physical sustenance, because what does Jesus say in verse 32 right before this? Your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But spiritual sustenance, because as it says a few verses earlier in verse 25, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? To which, of course, we'd all clearly say, life certainly is more than just food or clothing, as important as those things are. So this is a passage I believe we can use to remind ourselves not to be anxious about our physical needs, to trust the maker of the universe for these things, but also to remind us how he is faithful to provide our spiritual needs and to do so abundantly. The kingdom is first and foremost a statement about God. Jesus is king, and he is coming as king to make right what our sin made wrong. The phrase kingdom of God could just as easily be translated reign of God or the kingship of God. Or as we heard in a sermon last month on God's sovereignty, God is large and in charge. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. So when Jesus commands us to seek first his kingdom, which inevitably includes his righteousness, that's part and parcel of his kingdom reign, he's in a sense asking us to receive his kingdom to accept it, to bow to it, to humble ourselves before his lordship and his kingly reign. And that must include obedience, don't you think? But it's not a cowering obedience, don't hurt me, I'll do what you say, if we indeed choose to seek first. I read a great book called Seek First, ironically. The author, Jeremy Treat, wrote this in this book, when God's reign is received, it's experienced as grace. I like that. When God's reign is received, in other words, when we seek first his kingdom, it's experienced as grace. When God's reign is resisted, it is experienced as judgment. The essence of sin is our attempt to take God's place on the throne. 
the essence of salvation is God taking our place on the cross. Augustine once said, if you believe what you like in the Gospels and reject what you don't like, it's not the Gospel you believe but yourself. So when Jesus says to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, He's telling us He reigns, not us. He's on the throne and rules over all, not us. He has the absolute right as king to tell us what's right and what's wrong. He has the the right to define things, including what love is. He can define godly attitudes. He can define godly behavior. He is the creator. He is the maker of the universe, of everything we see. So what's to be our response to this command of Jesus to seek first his kingdom? I think one of the things it absolutely must mean is that we need to step down from our own little personal thrones where we've made ourselves king and queen or ruler of our own lives. And we need to allow his kingdom, we need to allow his righteousness to rule and reign in our hearts and in our daily lives. We need to submit to his kingship. We might call it lordship. He's in charge, right? If you've been paying attention to our culture, and how can you not know a lot of what our culture seems to promote these days, the idea of God determining what's right and best for us is the complete polar opposite of what the world is telling us. The world tell us tells us, follow your heart. Bad advice. Terrible advice. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Now, that's what we want to follow? Is that what we really want to follow? The world tells us to be who you want to be. The person you think you are, the person who will make you happy. Even if you think that means you're a woman in a man's body, or vice versa. Even if that means leaving my wife for another woman. Even if that means abandoning my family, my responsibilities to quote-unquote find myself. Build your own personal kingdom because after all, you must be true to yourself. This is what we hear. These are the messages we consistently get from our culture, from our world from the media that we consume, right? Our world preaches self-obsession. Our world says we must find the answers to life within ourselves. Brothers and sisters, if you don't already know this, I'm going to tell you. And if you do know this, I'm going to reinforce it. These things are lies from the enemy of our souls. Why? He loves to lead us astray and away from God's kingdom and righteousness. Jesus' message to us is to deny ourselves and to follow Him. Again, the polar opposite of what our world is telling us. To seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. In other words, our behavior is an overflow of our hearts. And the way we live reflects what we love. If we live in the light of eternity, we know that life cannot be found in the temporary pleasures, possessions, and achievements of this world that is passing away. We start investing in eternal life right here, right now. 
Our life is ruled by a life-shaping pursuit of God. And I would add that a life-shaping pursuit of God is what Jesus means when he tells us, seek first his kingdom, seek first his righteousness. Pursue, I think, could be a synonym. It's not an exact synonym, but it's a synonym for seek, right? And all these things will be added to us. All these things will be provided for us. Everything we need for life, both physical life and spiritual life, to be saved into God's kingdom is to submit to God's total rule over every aspect of life. And you know what? This is a lot more than just asking Jesus into my heart. Not that that's unimportant, but this goes a lot further than that. It means a new life. It means a new identity. And it means a new kingdom. We are new creations made new by the very maker of the universe who has total claim over our lives. And as new creations, we were remade to find our satisfaction, to find our meaning, and our security in God and in God alone. Everything else is just gravy. Even the good things in our lives. When we look for satisfaction and security in money or fame or sex or career or even ministry, it's as if we're rejecting his kingship, his reign in our lives. We're pursuing the gifts, God's gifts, rather than the giver of all those good gifts. It's taking God off the throne of our hearts and putting ourselves back on the throne. It's just as dangerous to do this as saying to God something like, I want everything you provide, but I don't want you. And I certainly don't want you in charge of my life. When we replace God on the throne with anything, even, again, otherwise good things, that's called idolatry. When someone in our life is our obsession, in other words, we're seeking first what this person brings into our life, we're not seeking his kingdom, even if that relationship is otherwise a good and healthy relationship. This can include friends, boyfriends or girlfriends, neighbors, even family. If some activity, a sport, a hobby, even a job, or again, even a ministry, take priority over God in our lives, seeking first his kingdom, seeking first his righteousness, we're doing the opposite of what Jesus commanded. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. Now again, these things are not necessarily bad or evil in and of themselves. When we're seeking first God's kingdom, we can righteously enjoy. We can righteously and in a godly way appreciate the good things that he brings as blessings into our lives. Relationships, again, sports, hobbies, jobs, ministries. But when we're not seeking first God's kingdom... We're attempting to rule ourselves. Ironically, when we do that, what are we doing? We're submitting to the rule of someone else, the one who deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. When we don't submit everything, and everything means everything, when we don't submit everything to Jesus as king of our hearts and lives, we're still the one who's in control. We're acting like our own king. And at that point, we're just using Jesus to accomplish our goals, to get what we want. Jesus isn't the means 
to the goal, despite what some segments of Christianity might teach. When he said, seek first, he was saying he is the goal. Jesus is the goal. Think of it this way. If we can truly say from our hearts, Jesus is Lord, we are at the same time saying, I'm not. If Jesus is Lord, then I'm not. I'm not the Lord of me. Or as little kids like to say, I'm not the boss of me. That's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus paid it all, as the hymn says, and in so doing, he gave it all, and he wants no less of us, of me. He wants all of me. doesn't want me to hold anything back. Following Christ as king means to surrender every aspect of our lives to him. Work, relationships, politics, family, your past, your future, everything. When Barb and I made our marriage vows to each other 43 years ago, we were intentionally cutting off other options. Think about this when you make a commitment to something. When, I, when we said, I do, we were saying, I don't, to some other things. Every commitment that we make requires sacrifice of some sort. Sacrifice of time or talent, or energy, or resources. But in our marriage, we intentionally limited our options to experience the deeper freedom of a committed, lifelong relationship. It's similar in a lot of things when you commit yourself to other kinds of relationships or to jobs or whatever, right? It's similar when you join a church. We make a covenant with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we choose to submit to leadership. We choose to give financially to the mission of the church and relate to those in our church as family, as brothers and sisters in Christ. You know what? If you haven't figured this out, again, here's a revelation for you. You can't do everything. You can't do everything. When you make a commitment to be part of something, a marriage, a church, a job, a relationship, a sport, a hobby, something else has to give. So the kingdom of God gives us a different way of thinking about our identity. In this verse, it says, seek first his kingdom. So we are kingdom people now, my brothers and sisters, and we are in service of the king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And that reality can't help but impact all of the other things that we do in our lives. And while I noted earlier that it's not just about priorities, yet it does shape our priorities. I want you to remember the Dilbert cartoon that we looked at, where uh, Dilbert's boss says our highest priority is satisfying our customers except when it's hard or unprofitable or we're busy. Let's apply this idea to seek first the kingdom. Our highest priority is pleasing the king. Not except, but even when it's hard. Not except but even when it appears unprofitable. Not except, but even when we're busy doing other things. Even sometimes when we don't want to do it because it's inconvenient. Or we just don't want to. This is a very countercultural message. In some ways it seems more countercultural in these days than ever before. But then I'm reminded of how odd and even strange the Christians were to the Roman culture in which the early church was born. 
what do we do? We submit to a kingdom of a man who died on the cross. We submit to a king who claimed to rise again from the dead. We submit to his rule and reign in every area of our lives. Our authority for our faith and practice is the Bible. All those things are strange indeed, especially to our culture. Crazy even, right? But when we look at what's happening now in our culture, here's where we want to go. I think I see this as an opportunity. We can see this as an opportunity. We can see this as a real chance to remember our true identity. We are aliens. We are strangers. We are sojourners. We are exiles. And we are people devoted to a kingdom that is not of this earth. On the surface, it does appear that Christianity is in decline in the West. Maybe not as much in some parts of Africa and Asia, but we live here. And it does seem to be apparent. But some have said that Christianity is not in decline, but cultural Christianity is in decline. And if that's true, that's a good thing. Why? Because cultural Christianity is where people identify as Christians by name only. That's where we get the idea nominal, right? Nominally means name in name only. And it doesn't have any impact their faith in Christ doesn't have any impact, no real effect on the way they live their lives. So can we see this, my brothers and sisters, as an opportunity to seek first his kingdom and to seek first his righteousness and in so doing, in submitting to his rule and reign in every part of our lives. We live uniquely. We live righteously with an admittedly strange by the world's standards list of beliefs, a weird set of standards, and a real approach to Christian community. All these things are shaped by what? Seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. By making that a priority. And not just inside these church walls every Sunday morning, Wednesday night, whenever we're here. Right? But especially outside these walls. In our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our hobbies, in our sports, in our commerce, just our everyday coming and going. When we are kingdom people, because that's what we've sought first to be, we don't minimize the practical realities of daily life. We have them in a right, God-given perspective. And that impacts the way we think and the way we live, the things we say and the things we do. It's sometimes good to ponder, what do we do that really counts for eternity? I think nearly everything we do can truly count for eternity if we do one thing. Seek first his kingdom and seek first his righteousness. Proverbs chapter 8 verse 17 reminds us that those who seek me find me. So it doesn't have to be hard. Well, I seek him, but I can't find him. If you seek him, you will find him. What does this mean in a practical sense as related to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33? We might say, in light of this understanding of what these words mean, that seek first the kingdom of God means before you put effort and energy and heart into anything else, strive after and seek earnestly to let God rule and reign let him be in charge of your heart and mind and your attitude 
and everything that concerns your life. God is our priority, my brothers and sisters. The first commandment tells us, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I don't believe anything in Scripture is there by accident, and this is no accident either. It's no accident that it's among the first of commandments, and we see it reinforced with seek first his kingdom, seek first his righteousness. C.S. Lewis said, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. Let's aim at heaven, my brothers and sisters. Let's aim at heaven by seeking first his kingdom and seeking first his righteousness. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, that you give us such clear admonitions on how to live our lives. You give us such clarity on what's right and what's wrong. And Father, you encourage us to make this our priority, to make this our absolute priority, to seek you first, to seek your kingdom, to seek your righteousness. Help us to do that, Father. We see this, Father, as we submit to you, received as grace in our hearts and in our lives. So, Father, help us to rely on that grace and look to you. And, Father, may seeking first your kingdom and seeking first your righteousness make a real difference, not just in what we think, but what we do, how we behave, how we interact with the world. Father, we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.